Hello and welcome to episode 1.35 of Seriously Narrative, a Warhammer podcast. I want you guys to know that Renee and I have been very hard at work on episode two, but sometimes when you really like to do something or it's really new, you just want to do it right now and you kind of want to get it out. And One of the things I really enjoyed doing was the narrative uh, for the last podcast. In fact, I actually recorded something before I even did the podcast just to kind of test out the recording equipment. And I decided that I wanted to write a little more and record again and figured I'd put it in sort of in between episodes, what I call episode 1.35. Today we have two stories. The first one is a story that I wrote while I was trying to think up a GW submission, if you can imagine or their black library submissions that they had in just like nine months after they started AOS one, they asked the question, how do mortals survive uh, in the age of chaos? Like how did mortal civilizations survive? And I kind of thought of that a lot, especially for Akshi, which is, oof, it's really tough to survive in Akshi as it is. And with corn running around all over the place, I wondered, you know, how exactly did somebody survive and how does a society survive in that harsh environment and with chaos running around. This is what I came up with. It's not very long, but I like it because I feel like it tells, I tried to tell the story of a people in a shorter narrative and hopefully I succeeded. I don't know. You guys tell me. The first one is called Wasteland of Souls. The second one is something that I wrote in between the last episode and this one, and it has to do with what is happening with Evangeline after her first encounter with Mother. She's obviously in Excelsis. She's in Gur, and she's sort of running from the Null Brotherhood and running from these fanatics who just want to kill her. I thought to myself, you know, what happened in between last battle and this one, and and how does it lead up to the battle that we're going to have in this next podcast? would be episode two. That one's called The Raid. It should be also on this. You'll, you'll hear Wasteland of Souls first and you'll hear The Raid second. I really do hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you the following Tuesday for episode two. Wasteland of Souls. Gareth watched the woman in rags climb the craggy dune. Unconsciously, he gripped the makeshift polearm and leaned into the shadow of the town's guard post. Not that it was much of a post, only a small ledge of rock twenty feet up and hidden in shadow against the twin-blooded suns. It afforded a view of the wasteland for miles around, and he had squinted a good twenty minutes at the limping shape that finally coalesced into the woman. She was old, perhaps older than even his twenty-seven years, all skin wrinkled and burned under the gods' forsaken twin-blooded suns that baked the wasteland, so it was no surprise that she looked shriveled. She was hunched over as she limped, as though her back pained her as well. Still, he did not call, nor did he wave, or make any motion other than to sip quietly at the brackish water at his hip flask. It tasted of copper, as it always did. Guards had been fooled by the spirits before, and monsters that roamed the wastelands, and anything could be hiding in her shriveled shadow. Best to see if she even knew where they were. The village, as it was called, was a small basin hidden in between two overarching ledges 
that were the beginnings of craggy mountains. A few dozen hides marked rooms for the ragged band of humans that struggled to survive. Days were scorching, agonizing affairs where most slept. Nights were freezing and full of gusting showers of coppery sleet that ate at exposed skin. Food was not scarce, as long as one did not mind eating rats. Gareth quite enjoyed the greasy meat once it was roasted over a spit. On those days they could find something to burn to make a fire. He sighed and leaned his catchpole up against the stone wall, then turned to shimmy down where the woman was looking at him. He did not recognize her, but she must have traveled here before if she knew where to look. Maybe she was with some caravan that was lost to one of the roaming beasts. He knew there were traitors, and that the warbands left them alone if they had enough protection. Water, she croaked through cracked and bleeding lips. He said nothing and offered her his flask. Gareth noticed the bloody footprints she left and cursed softly to himself. He would have to go rub those out lest they attract the attention of a predator beast. Or worse, a blood secretor. If stories could be believed, they could follow even the smallest hint of blood for miles in search of prey. Come then, my shade is yours, kinswoman, Gareth finally said. She seemed to sag as he performed the greeting, though veins stood out on her hands as she gripped the flask of life-giving water. Without another word, she followed him up the small outcropping, and they slipped through the crack that marked the entrance to the small cave system. A large man could not fit through that entrance, but his tribe was thin. They were like a pack of wolves, lean and rangy. I am Melinda, she said as they passed into the smaller antechamber. It was blessedly cool compared to the heat of the suns outside, and small eddies of wind and dust whistled down through the cracks in the ceiling. Gareth motioned a boy of fourteen, Zed, to take his place on the post. He could see the questioning look in the boy's eyes, but gave a quick shake of his head and glanced toward the post. Zed hurried away, but glanced a last time over her as he passed. Sit, he said, putting a bit of command in his voice. Tell me, why do you lead our enemies to us? Gareth was not accusatory, simply matter-of-fact when he said this. She should know by now to only travel at night. As she spoke, he carefully made a small pile of food scraps and placed it just behind and to the left of him. They came three weeks ago. Gremlich is no more, she said. Gareth frowned. He knew Gremlich, and roughly half of the 200 people that still lived there, well, had lived there. That small town was well protected and had stood almost 20 years against marauder attacks. Many blood-sworn bands had broken themselves along its natural walls. More than one army had starved itself trying to besiege it, he knew. His heart sank as he wondered where they would get the purple liquid used to purify the befouled water that fell each night. People mined salt in Grenlich, and more than one hold would probably fall without its support. Gareth motioned for her to go on and leaned back against the worn rock that formed a natural seat. It was cool against his blistered skin. It was an army, sir, she said. All in green they were. We all thought they were some holdout from the before times. They had banners and horses that shone like the light. They said they were from the Wanderlands, wherever that is, 
and they come to establish a trade route. The Wonderlands, where is that? Gareth had never heard of any such lands. He thought the whole world was a wasteland. They had cloth and grain, real grain, she went on. Perhaps she had not heard his question. They wanted to trade for the salt sea, so we met them in the underpass, like is proper. The underpass, as Gareth knew, was a small tunnel that led to the entrance of Gremlich. It was a killing ground with smooth sides and a walkway where archers from above could rain arrows down on an invading force. So we traded, and they left. At this, she took another drink of the flask. We didn't think they would, but they did. She brought one hand to red cheeks, then down to the cool floor. A few days later, the sickness came. It started with old Jeb, but everyone just thought he was trying to get out of mining. He was always one for making an excuse when he could. He wasn't making this one up, though. After three days, he had bright pink sores and legions. Never seen anything like it before. We thought he had eaten something bad. She looked down again, all the misery and grief showing in eyes, unable to spare the moisture to weep. They all got sick like that. Most died, and some killed themselves. We couldn't bury them or burn them because it might attract the blood swarm. So we packed them in salt, and pretty soon there wasn't anyone left. Except me. You did not get sick, Gareth said. She certainly didn't look sick, but the thought of a plague running rampant over his rangy lot made him nervous. Not a bit, she said. I never got sick. I knew you were up here because my sister married up here. Grendel, she was. Died a few years back in childbirth. Gareth nodded. He knew of Grendel's death a nasty affair that spared neither the woman or the child. So, you think those green warriors poisoned you? Maybe to capture the town? Did they come back? She shook her head, her gaze unfocused. I hung a hide up for anyone who might come to warn them. Had to use goat's blood. It was a shame. We all thought we could get that goat to child soon. Poor thing would have starved if I left it there anyway. As she said this, Gareth's arm snapped out and to the left. The rat, which had been sneaking silently toward where a small pile of scraps lay, squeaked once as Gareth snapped a neck as thick as his hand with a practiced twist. He let the two rats behind it grab one item from the scrap pile each before chasing them away with a wave of his hand. You always let them have something so they keep coming back, he said to her bewildered look. They are stupid creatures, but cunning. They will only recognize that food was gotten this day, not that one of their own fell to my hand. This new foe was unlike any Gareth was used to dealing with. He understood the blood sworn, with their rages and their devotion to their brass lord. He could hide from them, confuse their hounds, and lead their berserkers away toward other hunting grounds. How could he fight a foe who killed with gifts? The crushing despair that always threatened to eat him from the inside seemed to weigh particularly heavy on the lines of his rough face. He sagged visibly, tired of the pain and loss that came from surviving this wasteland of a world. Yet, even as his thoughts turned dark, his hands were skinning and gutting the corpse of the meter-long rat he had just killed. Do you know by what name they call themselves? he asked. Yes, she said, and unwrapped the bandage around her right arm. 
He saw that it was made of linen rather than hide, and had dark lettering woven into the thin sheet. It read, The Brotherhood of Three. Three small skulls made a tiny pyramid of bone near the bottom, though this last part was almost completely obscured by her blood on the bandage. I hadn't meant to use it in this way, she said as she scratched at the wound on her arm. A ridge cat attacked on the trail, and I had to beat it back. I had nothing else to bind the wound. The bite mark on her arm was purple and puffy. Looking close, Gareth thought he could see small dots of pink around the puffy folds of flesh. her eyes and willed sleep to come. It didn't. The straw beneath her rustled with her every movement, though she could barely feel it. She heard every shift in the dry pieces beneath her as noises too loud to shut out. Her eyes felt puffy and swollen from the harsh light filtering in through the boards in the barn. She missed terribly the old root cellar she had found a few villages back. Evangeline thought the loft in this barn had been a good place to stay for the day, but she had not expected it to be this shoddily constructed. Yes, the root cellar was so much better, even if it did smell like mold and old potatoes. At least she wouldn't have to hear every little noise anyone made. Though there did seem to be a lot of villagers out and about below her. Going through their daily routine, she supposed, much as she might still be doing if not for that fateful morning. Evangeline cursed under her breath, startling a barn rat that had been sniffing its way toward her. With this sun, it was going to be another sleepless day. She didn't need sleep, but she was beginning to learn the rules of her new form. The hunger came on more fiercely if she didn't sleep, and she needed more of that essence. Besides, it didn't feel natural not to sleep. It was, in a lot of ways, her only escape back to a world that now seemed lost forever. She still dreamed, at least. She rolled over on her back, staring up at the dusty roof. The sun wasn't that bad. Traveling during the day was still possible. Evangeline just hated to squint all the time. It gave her a headache. After a while, it was difficult for her to adjust back to seeing in the darkness. She always felt like she was seeing an afterimage. Evangeline thought about how she was going to slake her hunger this evening. It was always a concern. At times, she thought it might be easier if it were like that first night. She pursed her lips, and a knot of unease formed in her belly at the thought of her village. She had no real memories of the slaughter, so she told herself. Sometimes, at night, though, she dreamed of it and woke sobbing and shaking. She couldn't cry anymore, but she still felt like she could. She practiced her make-believe breathing, thinking of the task at hand. Maybe a drunk though a sore stomach and a spinning head the next day was what happened last time. One time she found a human predator. She caught him in the act. And what a sweet meal that had been. Evangeline had been able to save the woman he had stabbed, but she left soon after and didn't come back to see if the woman healed properly. That had made her feel good, and she began to formulate her own rules for the hunger soon after. A shout and the sound of cracking wood outside caught her attention. Evangeline sat up 
and was surprised to find her head emerged in water. She was so surprised she gasped, and the disgusting taste of salt water flooded her nostrils and mouth. A green, striped fish swam by and tugged at her ear. Its jaws actually pierced her iron-hard skin, and she saw a bit of red float to her right. She pulled away, and her head emerged from the floating ball of water. She could see the magic that held it aloft, and it hazed out of existence. There were more shouts coming from outside the barn now, and screams. She thought she heard a wave crash, but that can't be right. This village was at least five miles inland. Evangeline grabbed one of the weathered boards that made up the wall of the barn and snapped it, giving her a foot-long hole to see out. At first, she couldn't believe what she saw. Tall, lithe figures in gold-chased armor were gliding above the street. They had fish-belly white skin and carried weapons shimmering with purple and black magical energy. This was a raid, but who were those things? Her heart leapt into her throat as an enormous gray shark floated by in the air, as though swimming through it. For the briefest moment, she too felt like she was swimming. And when sunlight streamed again through the hole she looked through, everything around her looked damp. She watched with wide eyes as three running villagers were torn open. One of the invaders walked up to their fallen bodies and touched them with his cruel-looking catchpole. The purple light, which she instinctively recognized as the same magic she used, dragged a screaming ephemeral version of the fallen villagers from their bodies. Their screams vanished as the figure thrust the polearm into a cage behind him and the souls were sucked inside. Golden, flowing script on the cage appeared and Evangeline gave an involuntary hiss. Her fangs were out now and she was on high alert. Something crossed in front of the hole she made and as it passed, its tail slammed against the side of the barn. Dust coated the air as the barn shook, and Evangeline prepared to leap through the wall if it began to crash. It didn't, but the double door slammed open on their hinges as something hit it. Evangeline sat perfectly still, her back against a bale of straw. She could hear the bean stomping around, throwing things. What was he looking for? Then he laughed and pulled out a screaming man Evangeline hadn't even heard come into the barn. He dragged the man out into the sun and left the doors open. One of them had come off its hinge and it listed lazily to the left. Evangeline watched that door as it swung, banging against the opposite wall. She could smell blood and the light irritated her eyes. Her fangs were out. A growl came from her throat, deep and primal. She would not be denied her meal by these... These knife-eared things that smelled like a bilge pump. She could feel her minions buried within the earth in a nearby forest. Not close enough, though. Evangeline jumped down from the loft, landing lightly on the balls of her feet as one of the invaders swam lazily in through the air on some kind of eel. She balled up one fist and punched him in the short ribs. She heard two distinct cracks as her fist drove its way into his flesh, and he rolled to one side off his mount. The eel flipped up into the air and slapped her with a painful jolt. Her flesh boiled as the current flowed through her, and one side of her vision went dark as her eye popped in its socket. She could feel cool air on her teeth where the skin melted from her jawline, but she didn't feel the pain. The hunger was on her. The eel was quick, spinning around to latch onto her shoulder with its teeth. Blood sprayed from her as it punctured her chest and back, though she smiled to see half a dozen teeth break against her iron skin. Evangeline grabbed it in both hands. It was slimy and tried to wiggle out, 
but her claws dug in deep. It had time to wail once before she snapped its spine. It fell lifeless to the floor of the barn. Evangeline pried the death grip of the jaws off of her, its lower and upper jaw slick with blood. Then she turned to the rider. It had only been a few seconds, and he was still lying on the ground in shock. She pounced, crushing both of his wrists together with one hand as she sank claws into his hairless head. She tore into the artery in his neck and almost choked. The blood tasted like day-old fish left out in the sun. It had a mix of flavors, some old and some young. She tasted a boy of ten and an old maid and a hundred different flavors in between coming together to form a sludgy mixture in her mouth. It was then that she realized she wasn't consuming his essence, but those he preyed on. She broke the seal, wanting more and hating the taste all the same. She knew the taste of the guilty and the innocent, and that was a terrible mixture of the two. Blood pumped out of the ragged tear in his neck, and he lay back with his eyes glazed over. Evangeline took one of the wicked daggers at his side and collapsed, willing her body to heal. She could still taste seawater in her mouth. The sun felt brighter than ever, and her stomach roiled as she convulsed. Moments later, she was fleeing through the forest to the south. A harpoon had grazed her side as she ran, but at least she was reunited with Rufus and the pups. The sun beat at her, and she tried to outrun the hazy heat. The puppy pack was just in front of her, clearing the brush so that she would not have to trample through when she heard a deep, twin voice from above. Hello again, little grub. Time to have some real fun. Evangeline shook with horror and revulsion as the daemon the mortals had called Mother descended from a large withered oak. Its whip lashed out, snatching one of Rufus's puppies and tore it in half, flinging its two halves to one side. Then the enormous axe it held in one hand was coming for her. Thank you for listening to Seriously Narrative, a Warhammer podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us for questions, please email us at seriouslynarrativepodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page at facebook.com backslash seriouslynarrativepodcast. This episode of Seriously Narrative, a Warhammer podcast, is protected by the Creative Commons license. If you have any questions about the Creative Commons license, please visit their website at creativecommons.org. Music is provided by Incompetech, created by Kevin McLeod, and used under the Creative Commons license. Thank you for listening.